All right, go ahead and turn your Bible to Acts chapter 15. So we're jumping back into the book of Acts as we've been uh, preaching through it for a little while. <clears throat> we're jumping back into today. We're in Acts 15, verse 36 through 41. Let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us. Father, thank you for this, this chance now that we as a family can meditate on your word together. Lord, your word is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Thank you for your word, God, and this this book where we see the glory of Christ. Help us to see the glory of Christ this morning. This book where we're giving correction and rebuke, God, I pray that you would correct and rebuke us this morning as needed. Lord, you've given this book where there's encouragement and comfort to be found. I pray that you would give that where it's needed, Lord. Holy Spirit, you know all things. And all the needs here, you know everything. Please, God, use your word for the glory of your holy name and for the good of your church. Build us up, Lord. Open our eyes to see, God, and build us up. We want to be more like you, Lord Jesus. Let your word lead us in that direction. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start off with a review of the book of Acts, an Acts review, uh, because we haven't been in the book of Acts for a little while. Um, by way of review, I would, I would say the way that we have summarized the book of Acts again and again has been the unstoppable mission. What we see in the book of Acts is the unstoppable mission of God. Now, the mission of God is that Christ is redeeming for himself a people from every people group on the planet. He's doing that. He's going to do that. It is unstoppable that Christ is going to redeem a people for himself. He's already doing it from every single people group on the planet. Now, why is that mission unstoppable? I'm telling you it's unstoppable. Why is it unstoppable? Number one, it's unstoppable because Jesus died. Jesus died. And the lamb will receive the full reward for his suffering. There's no doubt about it that the reward of his suffering is a people, a, a fragment of people from every people group on the planet. Every nation, tribe, and tongue. And the one who died will receive the full reward of his suffering. Psalm 46 verse 10, it says, Be still and know that he is God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. It's just a fact. It's a promise. It's an unstoppable mission. Reason number two, it's unstoppable because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts begins in its thesis statement or it's, it's a, sort of an outline. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, You, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that's an outline of the book of Acts. We see the gospel go to Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria and begin to move out into the ends of the earth. And that is a work, according to Acts 1.8, of the Holy Spirit. And who can stop him? Who can stop the Holy Spirit? 
And the answer is no one can. So this is an unstoppable mission. Number three, it's unstoppable because of God's promise. Because of God's promise. For example, Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus says, I will build my church. And I love it that Jesus speaks about his mission in that way. What are you going to do, Lord? What are you going to do in all nations? I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not stand against it. The promises of God and this mission is unstoppable. And so what we see in the book of Acts are the disciples of Jesus engaging into this mission that is unstoppable. Therefore, they are unstoppable. And we see it all the way through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we see that language barriers cannot stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. We don't know their language. God drops down tongues from heaven and they speak in their, their languages the praises of God. Language barriers cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. In Acts 2.47, it says, after that event, it says, the Lord added to his church daily. He added to his church daily those who were being saved. Acts 3 and 4, we see that persecution cannot stop the mission of God. We see in Acts 5, even sin in the camp, sin within the church. Remember Ananias and Sapphira walking in hypocrisy in the midst of the church? Even that cannot stop the mission. God drops them dead in Acts 5.14. Right after that, it says more than ever believers were increasingly being added to the Lord. It cannot be stopped. Acts chapter 6, you get some internal problems in the church where there's certain widows not being taken care of. God deals with it. The gospel keeps moving forward. Nothing can stop it. Acts chapter 7, you've got a martyr. Stephen the martyr, he is killed. The first martyr for the faith right here in Acts chapter 7. And what do we see in Acts 8? All the believers scatter and everywhere they go, they're spreading the gospel. It's like putting water on a grease fire. It's just spreading everywhere. You get to Acts chapter 12, for example, and even, even government opposition cannot stop the mission of God. You see King Herod, remember him? King Herod grabbed James and killed him. He got Peter and he threw him in jail and his plan was to kill him as well. So here's this enemy of Christianity, the enemy of the mission of God. And how does that story end? It says that man was eaten by worms and died, but the word of the Lord increased and multiplied. It's the unstoppable word of God. This is the book of Acts where we see over and over and over again. You get to Acts 13 and you get this picture of a local church. The church at Antioch. And this local church, the church at Antioch, they are involved. They are engaged into the mission of God. The unstoppable mission of God. In Acts 13. Now, the rest of the book of Acts, all the way through, is a story of three missionary journeys... Three missionary journeys that flow out of the church at Antioch, who is engaged in the mission of God. So just to give you those places very quickly, the first journey, Acts 13 and 14, shows the first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark sent out of the church of Antioch. The second missionary journey starts in Acts 15, verse 36, which is where we are today. And it goes to chapter 18, verse 22. Shall I have it there in your study guide? And the third missionary journey goes from chapter 18, verse 23, pretty much to the end 
of the book of Acts. And what you see is God orchestrating these things for the advancement of his kingdom, for the moving forward of his mission, and no one can stop it. Nothing can stop it. So we come to our passage, and this is the beginning of the second missionary journey. Let's read it together. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I want to pull out. I want to highlight three points coming out of this passage. Okay. First point that I want to highlight is right there on your study guide. The Christ-like concern that sparked the second missionary journey. And we see that in verse 36. The Christ-like concern that sparked the second missionary journey. Now, you think about it for a minute. Before you even glance back down to verse 36. What would you expect to spark the second apostolic missionary journey? What would you expect to spark that? Maybe some sort of a Mount Sinai experience where there's lightning and thundering coming down on Mount Sinai. The mountain is shaking and God speaks with an audible voice and says, Paul and Barnabas, go. Is that what you would expect? Maybe you would expect some uh, uh, these uh, Paul and Barnabas come up with some new uh, revolutionary uh, rapid church growth movement type and they got this new missionary enterprise idea and from that idea man they're going to start this second missionary journey is that what you would expect and yet what do you get here let's read verse 36 again after some days Paul said to Barnabas so Paul goes to Barnabas listen to what he says this is, this is what sparked him let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are that was underwhelming, wasn't it? Just mundane, simple, I would say Christ-like concern. Those churches we planted, those people we shared the gospel with, let's go back and let's see how they're doing. Let's try to see how they're doing. Now this, this, this simple Christ-like concern is what sparked the second missionary journey. So I want us to understand it very clearly. Let's try to understand it very clearly. It's a concern. Think about it with me. This is a concern for healthy, strong local churches all over the world. That's what this is. He's saying, let's go, let's go back to those churches we planted in the first missionary journey and let's see how they're doing. And if you jump down to verse 41, it's with an aim to strengthen those churches. He wants to strengthen those churches. So, so, so here's the Christ-like concern. A concern for healthy, strong local churches in every people group on the planet, including our own, including the farthest reaches. This is the Christ-like concern. Now, if you get a quick snapshot of Paul's life, 
you see very clearly, a snapshot of his life, you see this Christ-like concern. So we see it in Antioch, right? His home church in Antioch, he obviously loves this church and wants it to be built up and strong. All you got to do is read back and ask some and see him teaching and preaching and protecting there. Okay, we see in the churches of Galatia, the churches that he planted in that first missionary journey. He wants to go back there. He wants to see how they're doing. He wants to strengthen them. So he cares about healthy local churches there. Let me read something to you in another place from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to hear or see a snapshot of Paul's concern. Listen to it. Chapter 3 verse 1. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer. Something's going on in Paul's heart. He says, look, I couldn't bear it anymore. When I could bear it no longer. We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and strengthen and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Did you catch that? He said, when I couldn't take it anymore, listen to Paul's heart. Hear the Christ-like concern. I couldn't take it anymore. We were willing to be left alone. So we sent Timothy to strengthen you lest these afflictions derail your faith. Look at verse 5. Listen to verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I can't bear it anymore. I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You see the concern there? What about 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28 and 29? Paul says, What comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak and who's not made to stumble and I don't burn with indignation. Do you hear the Christ-like loving concern? The concern for healthy churches in every people group on the planet, including his own. Do you see this concern here? Now, convert this concern in verse 36 into a question. If you converted this concern, if you took this concern in verse 36 and you turn it into a question, what would the question be? It'd be, how are you doing? How are you doing? That's not very fancy, is it? How, how, how are you doing? And we don't mean like the world's version of how are you doing. Like, how are you doing? Doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Making it. You know, I don't mean the world's version. I mean Paul's version of sincerely, really. How are you doing with an aim in the back of his mind to strengthen the one, that he's, the one that he's asking about? How are you doing with an aim to strengthen? You ever thought about how important that question is? How are you doing? Barnabas, let's go back and see. Let's go back and ask them all how they're doing. Let's try to get a feel for how they're doing so that we can strengthen. You ever thought about how important that question is? That, that question is extremely important for a local church. That there's sincerity all around a church and all kind of different meetings and gatherings together of a sincere, how are you doing with a mindset to want to strengthen your brothers and sisters in Christ? And apparently here, it's very important for the mission of God. This sparked the second missionary journey. How are they doing? What's going on with those churches? Now, I think so much that flies, so many things that fly under the radar today of missionary work are so unlike Paul. And Barnabas. Second best missionary to ever be sent. 
Jesus number one, Paul's second best missionary to ever be sent. And so much that flies under the radar of, of missionary work today is so unlike this. Think about how much missionary work is done, and it's, and it's done without the proclamation of the gospel. Just go up, do a few good things and don't preach the gospel that actually saves souls and delivers people from hell. Or even some mission work that, that does preach the gospel, but imagine it, they don't have the planting of the church in view or healthy churches in view. Preach the gospel, maybe like these crusades that all they're worried about is getting thousands and thousands of decisions, something like that. But not the healthy local church in view. And even some mission, mission, uh, mission work, it may have the local church in view, but it's a shallow version of it. I think that fits in this idea of this uh, rapid church, uh, rapid church movement, rapid church growth, rapid, rapid church multiplication, whatever it's called. It's plant 10,000 churches over the weekend. It's that kind of idea. And that is kind of movements. They don't have Paul's heart in their, in their, in their heart. Or their, Paul's heart is not in them as they're doing these moves. We want to be like Paul. We want to be like Barnabas. Amen? So what did Paul and Barnabas do? If you think back at Acts 14, first missionary journey, this is verse 21 through about 24. It says he preached the gospel, made many disciples, this is straight from the text. Strengthen the souls of the disciples. And then he appointed elders in every church. So he walked away with elders in every church. Or, or healthy, strengthened, being more strengthened local churches. That's what he walked away with. And he went back home to Antioch. That's the first missionary journey. What about the second missionary journey? What does he want to do? It says right here, verse 36. He wants to go back. Listen. To every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. He wants to go back to those cities where we already proclaim the word of God. And we want to strengthen those souls. Strengthen those churches. What about when you get to chapter 18 verse 23. And you see the third missionary journey. You go and read it. He goes right back to that same group of Galatian churches. And he strengthens the souls of the disciples. So does Paul and Barnabas and their mindset, their Christ-like concern and what they do in the mission, does it fit with so much of what you see in modern missions movements? And, and I hope you see that it doesn't, but we want to be like them in that. Now, why do I call this Christ-like? I'm saying this is a Christ-like concern. It's a Christ-like concern that we see in verse 36. Why do I call it Christ-like? Let me give you a Bible verse. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 25 through 27. I was talking about husbands and wives, but we're not talking about husbands and wives right now. Listen to the verse. It says Christ, listen to Christ, the Christ, the, the, the heart of Christ in this. And this is why I call it a Christ-like concern. Listen, Christ loved the church. He loved the church and he gave himself for her. Listen to that. Jesus loved the church. And, and everybody in this room and everybody that's considered the church of Jesus Christ, you deserve hell. You deserve to go to hell forever because of your sin. So, so, this, so how did you get here? It says Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. That he died for our sins. He laid down his life so that we could be brought into his church and be his church. Christ loved the church and he gave himself for her. Listen, that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church. With the washing of water of the word. That he might present her the church. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church. 
without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she should be holy and without blemish. And I say that when we have that concern, the concern we see in Paul and Barnabas, that strong, healthy local churches are planted in every people group on the planet. This is like Christ who loved his church, gave himself for it, sanctifies and cleanses her. It's Christ-like. So the question will be, do you possess this Christ-like concern? So let me turn it in to you and me and all of us. Do you possess this Christ-like concern? Does it come to your mind? Man, I want to see strong. I want this church to be a strong church. And I want to see more churches planted where there are no churches. And I want to see church places where there are churches where they're not healthy. I want to see them strengthened. Is that concern in you? Does it burn in you? When it does, it affects things in your life. It affects things like your ministry of discipleship or your strengthening of your local church or, or your, your involvement in this all nations mission and more churches being planted in other nations. It affects the way you deal with all those things. And I think sometimes, you know, when you see this Christ-like concern, we're going to get into verse 41 in a minute where it says, what do you do about it? What do you do about that concern you have? But before we do that, listen to me. If, if that concern is lacking in you, and therefore these, or, or let me just say this. Let's say those, the fruits of those concerns, you don't see them in your life. This ministry of discipleship, this strength in the body of Christ, desire for the nations, churches to be there. If you don't see that, why? Is it because of lack of concern? Or is it because of lack of training? What is it? And here's, here's something that stood out to me as I studied this. I want you to think about this. I think so often we put it on a lack of training when the reality is it's a lack of concern. It's a lack of Christ-like concern. You can be trained to make disciples up to your teeth. You can be trained day in and day out. But if this Christ-like concern is not there, it's wasted. It's a wasted concern. So my question to you is, do you possess this Christ-like concern. If you say, man, I'm lacking in that. Listen, repent. Just repent. And look to Jesus. Jesus is Christ-like. So Jesus is the example. Look to Him. See His concern. And be conformed to His image from one degree of glory to the next. It should be the response of your heart. Second point I want to highlight from this passage. The Christ-controlled conflict that threatened to stop the second missionary journey. The Christ-controlled conflict that threatened to stop the second missionary journey. Now, we read that in verse 37 through 40 as we read just a moment ago. What happened there? What exactly happened there? They're going to go on this mission together. Barnabas wants to take John Mark. Who's John Mark? Remember the first missionary journey, three men went out. Paul, Barnabas, John Mark. And John Mark deserted right in the middle. He went home. He left the mission right in the middle of the mission. He left and went home, left Paul and Barnabas. That's John Mark. So Barnabas wants to take him and Paul saying, no, he, he, I'm not taking him. He refuses to take John Mark. Why, it says here, why would we take the one who abandoned the mission last time? And this, and this conflict between Paul and Barnabas gets so sharp that Paul and Barnabas end up splitting, splitting ways. The mission team gets split up. Now, let's talk about the intensity of this conflict. How intense was this conflict? And the reality is, is we, don't, we don't exactly know. Here's some things I would say. One, we don't need to sterilize it. We don't need to sterilize it. Okay, it says a sharp disagreement. 
And the word used there in the Greek is this idea, this sharp disagreement of, of uh, there was some, there was some uh, provoking going on here. There was some emotions involved here. This was, this was something that rose up to a sharp disagreement. It says here that Paul, I mean, excuse me, Barnabas wanted, it says he wanted to take John Mark with him. One version says he was determined to take John Mark with him. It says here that Paul, he thought it best not to take John Mark. Another version says that, that he kept insisting that they should not take him. So here's this idea. If he's determined to take him, he keeps insisting we shouldn't take him. He ought not to go. And, they keep, and this rises up into a sharp disagreement. So don't sterilize it. There was a problem here. At the same time, I don't think we should read too much into it. How did they leave? Did they stomp out of there, mad at each other, didn't even say goodbye? Or did the, 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 the disagreement just sharpen up to where they said, look, let's just agree to disagree and go our separate ways. And we shouldn't read too much into it. We don't necessarily know. Whose fault was it? Whose fault was it? And the reality is, if we look at Paul, we look at Barnabas, we don't know whose fault it was. Luke does not tell us it was Paul's fault or it was Barnabas' fault. He doesn't tell us. And I believe that's intentional by the Holy Spirit that we don't even know whose fault it was that they parted ways right here. We just don't know. You know, if you think about Paul's life, worst case scenario is that Paul was struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness towards John Mark because he showed himself unfaithful in the first missionary journey. That's worst case scenario. Best case scenario, he believed that a man should be tested and, and tried and found faithful before they engage in such an important work. That's biblical. He put the, the, he put the requirements for the work over the man's feelings. That could be something that's going to ask best case scenario. What about Barnabas? Worst case scenario, this is partiality. And if you read Colossians, you realize that Barnabas and Mark were actually cousins. Actually cousins. So maybe Barnabas here is, is uh, showing partiality, putting his family and the feelings of his family above the, the requirements that, that should be there for the mission of God. Maybe it's something like that. Or best case scenario, Barnabas is just being the son of encouragement. And he's just forgiving and merciful. He's seen potential in this man. He's seen repentance in this man. And he wants to take him again. The reality is ultimately we don't know whose fault it was. And I believe that's intentional. That's intentional in the scriptures that we don't know that. Now, why is this discouraging? If so, why is it discouraging? And, and I think everybody here said, yeah, that's a little discouraging. I mean, everybody who, who reads, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas here. Everybody who reads this goes, wait a minute. Did they just get in a sharp contingent split up? These men have been through so much together. They were on the first missionary journey, preaching the gospel, facing persecution. They went to Jerusalem and they stood down the false teachers together. These men were called Zeus and Hermes together. These, these guys, they love one another. They labor together. That's, they're and, and they're not splitting over doctrine. They're not splitting over some major thing. It's just over this issue of should we take John Mark or should we not? And this sharp contention arises. The sharp disagreement. And then they split away. So there's something about that that's a little bit sad. It's a little bit disappointing. If you think about stuff like that happening in our own setting, our own culture, when things like that happen, when brothers or sisters in Christ that are laboring side by side and something comes up and just seems like, why? Why is it causing such problems? But I would say this too. I think this is also in some ways very encouraging. It's very encouraging. Let me, and I want you to be encouraged like I'm encouraged. 
So let me see if I can explain why this sharp contention is actually a little bit encouraging. Think about this. The first missionary journey involved three men sent out and one of them ended up being a deserter. That's the first missionary journey sent out by the church at Antioch. Second missionary journey, it begins with a sharp disagreement and the missionary leaders split ways. And here's how that encourages me, because when I think about our mess, our conflicts, the things that we go through as a church, the things we will go through, we ain't alone. We're not alone. So I think this should encourage us, Grace Community Church, we look to the future and we want to be engaged in the mission of God and conflicts will come. Problems will most definitely come. We need to be in some ways encouraged that, that God has always been working through these conflicts, always. These guys are men just like we are men. Now, I said in, the, in that second point there, a Christ-controlled conflict. Now, why did I say Christ-controlled? Why did I say Christ-controlled conflict? Because look at what God produces through human frailty. One mission team just turned to two mission teams. The Christ-controlled, He is in control the Christ-controlled conflict. What you see here is the providence of God working through even these kind of situations. We know that both of these mission teams, Barnabas and Mark and Paul and Silas, we know that both of them went out faithful and labored, labored faithfully to the end. If you do a little study through the New Testament, you look up Barnabas' name all through the New Testament. Look up Mark's name all through the New Testament. What you realize is that Paul later on speaks favorably about Barnabas. Paul later on even seems like he works with Barnabas some more. He certainly works with Mark some more. And in, 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 uh, in Paul's last letter, his dying letter, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we see him asking, bring Mark because he is useful to me for ministry. So here's this failed missionary that at the end of the apostles' life, he's saying, bring him to me because he's useful for ministry. God used a failed missionary in the first missionary journey and used that man to actually write one of the four Gospels. So I think both of these men went out faithful. Christ is in control. He just took a human frailty, human frailty, human conflict and made two missions team, two mission teams out of one. Now, this has got to be extremely, extremely frustrating for Satan, right? Don't you think this is very frustrating for him? Think about that. Opposing a God who uses even your own schemes to accomplish his purposes. You imagine how frustrating that is. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. It says, what you meant evil against me, God meant it for good to bring it about this day to save many people alive. And that's Joseph talking about his brothers who meant evil against him. But same thing with Satan. You meant evil and God bent it. God meant it for good to save many people alive. We see that in Acts chapter 7. Acts 7, Satan surely is involved in the hatred that ends up, ends up stoning a man of God in Stephen. And that man is martyred and killed. And God twisted on him. And all that persecution spreads to the disciples. And all of a sudden the gospel starts spreading everywhere. Or in this situation... Satan is stirring up contention amongst these people. And here's this sharp disagreement. God says, double the mission teams. Just like that. I hate to reuse an illustration, but uh, it reminds me of what Dustin said a few months back. about Imagine how frustrating it would be if you're in a boxing ring 
And every time you swing at this guy, I mean, every time you take a punch, you can't touch him. You cannot touch him. Imagine how frustrating that is. But this is even worse than that. This is like every time you take a swing, somehow your fist is turned around and you smack yourself in the face. And that's what this situation is like. Every time he moves in contention or moves in martyrdom, God spreads his kingdom farther. The unstoppable mission of God. So Christ controlled conflict. I say that because Christ is sovereign and Christ is in control. When we face conflicts like this and we are filled with anxiety and, and, and just this sinful anxiety fills our hearts, that's because we've got a puny version of who Jesus truly is. He is sovereignly in control of everything. He even takes the petty disagreements of men and he takes his strong arm and he bends those situations, even that involve sin, and he bends them to accomplish his own purpose. That's our Christ. That's the one we can trust and rest in, even in the midst of these sort of situations. Point three I want to highlight from this text. It's not really a point, it's a title to a point. It's the Great Commission and strong churches. Look at verse 41. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul takes action. He goes through Syria and Cilicia and he begins strengthening, it says, the churches. So what we have here is a move from a Christ-like concern to obedience. <laughs> He's concerned about those churches, how they doing, and now he's going, and he wants to strengthen them. He wants to do something about it. Now, the way I titled this point was the Christ, excuse me, the Great Commission and strong churches. Now, here's the truth: that strong churches will be engaged in the Great Commission. That's true, but that's not the point I want to draw out here. What I'm trying to draw out here is this: Christians who desire to obey the Great Commission will be church strengtheners. The Great Commission. And strong churches, Christians who desire to obey the Great Commission will do what? They will be church, church strengtheners. We see this in Paul. We see this really in the church in the book of Acts. The commission was given. The Great Commission was given by Jesus. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations. I'm with you always. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Go do that. It's the Great Commission. And the living out of the Great Commission is found in the book of Acts. And what do we see? We see Paul preaching the gospel, making disciples, planting the church, and making sure the church stays strong. He's planting the church, he's going to another place, preach the gospel, make disciples, plant the church right back to that church, right back to this church, help them stay strong, send Timothy back to that church, send Titus back to that church. He's, con he's concerned with keeping, planting the church and keeping the church Strong. Now this word strengthening here in verse 41, strengthening the churches. It's the word establishing. Think of, think of establishing the churches or render it firm. Render the church firm. Let it, render it solid, this church. That's the idea here. Think about an oak tree. When an oak tree is in its infancy, it can be, a, just imagine a little oak tree sitting there. It can be stomped on and put out. And not only that, it can be blown by the wind and taken to and fro. It is unable, this, this oak tree in its infancy is unable to produce seed that would make more oak trees. It can't do that. 
But when that, when that oak tree becomes established, when it becomes strong, when it becomes not its in infancy, but in its maturity, now it cannot be stomped out. It can't be moved by the wind. And it begins to produce seed. It actually produces more oak trees. And that's the idea is strengthening the Christians or strengthening the church, taking them from infancy to maturity. Where they're not stomped out by the enemy, they're not blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Where they can actually plant seeds that raise up more Christians to the glory of God. Taking a church from infancy to maturity. Now Paul's our example, obviously, as we already mentioned. I just want to highlight this word strengthen here. Okay? This word strengthen. If Paul's our example, think about how important this is to him. Just listen to these verses. Chapter 14, I said it to you a minute ago in the first missionary journey. It says... He went strengthening the souls of the disciples. Think about what he's doing. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Here in our verse 15, 41, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Chapter 18, verse 22 and 23. This is the beginning of the third missionary journey. It says, verse 23. After spending some time there, back in the church in Antioch. He departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Go read his letters. His letters are written to churches to strengthen them. And then his letters are written to individuals like Titus telling him, Titus, go and set in order what's lacking in the church. Strengthen the church, Titus. He writes to Timothy, Timothy, I'm writing you that you might know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the church truth. So even when he's writing to individuals, it's to strengthen the church. Do you see his actions and his heart here? And he's our example. He's the one that we desire to imitate. So let me ask this again. Same question from verse 36. Do you possess this sort of Christ-like concern that your church would be strong and that there would be strong churches in every people group on the planet. Do you possess that Christ-like concern? Like we see in verse 36. That your church would be strong. And, that, and strengthened. And that there would be strong and strengthened churches in every people group on the planet. Do you have that concern? Now what we move to in verse 41. And here's my next question. Is what are you going to do about it? We see what Paul's doing about it, right? He's got this concern in verse 36. We see what he's doing about it in verse 41. We see it in Barnabas. He's got this concern in verse 36. And he does something about it in verse 41. We see it in the church at Antioch to some degree. What does the church at Antioch do about it? We see they're commending him and sending him out. Commending him to the grace of God for the work that they're going to go accomplish. We see that. But what about you? Got this Christ-like concern. You say, God, give me more of that kind of concern in my life. And, and then how do you take action on it? What do you actually do about it? What do you do about it? How do you, how do you pursue the strength of this church and the strength of churches all over the world? How do you pursue that today, tomorrow, this coming week? How are you going to pursue that? This coming month, how do you pursue that? This coming year, for the rest of your life, how do you pursue that? What are you doing about it? I think it's a big deal that we think like that. It's a big mistake if we begin to divide our concerns from what we actually do about it. Y'all believe that? If we divide our concerns, we say we have this concern, but, but what do we do? If we divide those things, we end up being deceived. 
James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For hearers only and not doers of the word, we deceive ourselves. So that's my question to you. I've asked you about that Christ-like concern. Is it in you? Does it burn like a fire? Do you want more of that? And if so, what do you do about it? How do you respond? So what I want to do now, with that in mind, a longing, this is what's in your mind, a longing to strengthen this local church and be a part of planting, strengthening strong local churches all over the world. That's what I want to be a part of. With that in mind, that idea in mind, let's talk about practical ways that you can be doing this. Practical ways that you can be walking in obedience. So Grace Community Church, especially you that are members of this church, listen to me. You, these, nothing's new here. There's nothing new in what I'm about to say. You see it there in your study guide, there's nothing new. But I want to encourage you to try to see this with some fresh eyes. Okay? Different things happen to us. Sometimes we set out to go after these sort of things that, that I'm about to mention. We set out to do that and something happens, we get discouraged and we bow out. Or sometimes, sometimes something happens and we, you know, we, just, we just get off track. I want to encourage you to think about these things with some, with some fresh eyes, with some fresh ideas. Saying, God, how can I respond to you? You are so glorious. You died for your church. You will receive the reward of your suffering for your church. You will, God. And I want to be a part of that. What can I do? Come with that heart as we, as we very briefly talk through these five things. Okay. Number one. Practical way you can imitate Paul and hand out church. Number one, be a gospel preaching, disciple making, church planning, strengthening missionary. In other words, be a missionary. That's one way you can accomplish. You can be a missionary. Now there, there are Paul-like missionaries that are going out to plant the church, leaders in local churches, and there are Mark-like missionaries. Mark went as an assistant. He went as a helper to the mission. Not necessarily there to lead the church, but there to assist those that are planning and leading the church. There's different versions of this, but, but could you, could God be calling you to be a missionary? When's the last time you took this idea, okay, of taking your life and saying, oh, there's unreached places on the planet, and I want to take the gospel to those places that don't have the gospel. We do, they don't. I want to take the gospel there. When's the last time you put that on the table and said, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you send me, I'll go. Whatever you command me, I'll do. When's the last time you put that on the table? And I want to, I want to encourage you never to necessarily take it off, but whatever God moves you toward. So you can be a missionary like Paul. That's how he lives it out. Number two, be a faithful missionary sender. Now, not all people are called to go. Don't hear me saying that in number one. Not all people are called to go. But if you're not going, you must walk in the obedience of sending. That's all we see in the scriptures. Senders and goers. Nobody left out. Among Christians, there's senders and goers. So being a faithful missionary sender. Look at chapter 15, verse 40. Paul chose Silas and departed. I love this. Listen, listen to this part. This is the church senders. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. I love that. We don't know everything that they did there, but we know this is the church. The second time this has happened. That they commended him, commended Paul and Silas, commended these brothers to the work that they were going to do. We see the same thing back in chapter 14. If you look at chapter 14, verse 24. Excuse me, verse 26. And from there they, they sailed to Antioch, 
where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had fulfilled. This church had commended them to the grace of God there, commended them to the grace of God. Again, chapter 13, verse 3, it says this. Then after fasting and praying, that's the church in Antioch, they laid their hands on these, these missionaries and sent them off. We see that in 3 John, verse uh, 6 through 8. Go read 3 John 6 through 8. It says, these men that go out for the sake of the name, it says, we ought to support such as these, that we might be fellow workers for the truth. They go out into the well, we hold the rope. That's the idea. So are you being a faithful sender? Will you renew that commitment? Will you renew that commitment that you would be a faithful sender? All these new uh, new members that have just come on, that just entered into this covenant with us. Part of that covenant is that we will be a people that are going after, sending, uh, going and sending missionaries into the all nations harvest. To the all nations harvest. So will you be faithful to that? You can be faithful to that in prayer. Will you pray for our missionaries? Pray for those in India. Pray for those in Bolivia. Pray for those that are in Peru. Pray for these potential teams that are looking to go out, possibly to India, possibly to China. Pray for these folks. Will you pray for them? Also, will you, will you give? Will you give them a lot of your money to support them and send them out to this mission? I love Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is about the nations. It says, it says, bless us, O God, and make your face shine upon us that your name might be known in all the earth. It says, let the nations praise you, O God. Let, let, all, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. So we're talking about God's truth, making it to the nations, his salvation, making it to the nations. At one point in that psalm, it says, the, the earth has yielded her increase. Our God has blessed us. What does that mean? The earth has yielded her increase. Our God has blessed us. God be exalted in all the nations. That is a verse that tells us we can say, God, get, give us, give us more. Bless us, even with material things, even with money, so that we can funnel it out to your gospel going out to the nations. That's a prayer you can pray. God, give us more so we can bless more. Help us, God. So give. What about being an encouragement to our missionaries? You can be a faithful sinner by being an encouragement to them, writing to them, talking to them, caring about them. Number two is be a faithful missionary sender. Number three, be a faithful church member. The way you can live this out and imitate these things, be a faithful church member. Now, a Christ-like concern for strong churches and all nations certainly includes your local church, right? We're part of all nations. So it certainly includes that. So be concerned about the strength of this church. Now, no one who has a deep concern for churches in all nations has no concern for their own local church, at least not genuinely. Okay, it's easy, you know, it's easy to love those that are out there somewhere, but what about the people God put right in front of you? Being a faithful member in this church to strengthen, to build up, that that would be your mindset. If you're in Christ, God has gifted you for the benefit of all. Isn't that what that verse says? That God has gifted you for the benefit of all, and so you are able by God to strengthen this local church for the glory of God in all the earth. So be a faithful member of this church. Would you think about that for just a minute? Are you being a faithful member? Now, when you think about the strength of a church, yes, you're thinking about the biblical structure should be there. God's given the structures of the church. The biblical structure should be there. 
know, biblical leadership, those kind of things should be in place, no doubt. Okay, certain doctrines should be there for it to be a strong church. But so much of you strengthening the church is not so much that stuff, but looking at the individual members within the church and saying, I want to build them up. I want to help them. I want to, I want to, I want to edify them. Is the word used in Ephesians 4. This will affect the way you think of the Sunday gathering. It will affect the way you think of the fellowship groups. It will affect the way you think about uh, hospitality in your home. You'll, you'll begin to develop this desire of, Verse 36, how are they doing? Let's, I want to know how they're doing with an aim to what? Verse 41, strengthen the souls of the disciples. So you're being a faithful member. It's a way that you can, you can live this out. Number four, be a one-on-one -on -one disciple strengthener. Be a one-on-one -on -one disciple strengthener is a way you can live this out. In other words, be intentional about grabbing somebody that's younger than you in the faith and establishing them and helping them and strengthening them, pouring truth into them, holding them accountable to know that truth and obey that truth, teaching them how to go after the mission of God, like be intentional about grabbing those that are younger than you in the faith and helping them and bringing them along. Now, the main point here, and, and part of me wishes maybe I wouldn't even put that on there, it's not the point, it's not the one on one. It's the idea of being intentional about helping people come along and doing that in a small scale in your life. Think about Jesus. Jesus has a massive impact. He spent most of his time with 12 men. He spent most of his time with 12 men. Very close and intimate with these men, training them up, bringing them to a certain place. So we should, I think we ought, we ought to imitate that. Like Jesus and his 12. Uh, this is something you can ask God for. You say, God, please. I want to be intentional about this. Help me to help somebody younger in the faith to come to more strength and more establishment in the faith. And last one I'll mention very quickly is to pray for more healthy church, healthy local churches in our area. Isn't that a beautiful vision? Think about that. Think about this area in Jackson, the surrounding areas and where we're at. And think about of just having a bunch of sister churches all around that are like-minded, that are healthy churches, that are walking with God. They're sending out missionaries. You're sending out missionaries. You know people from their church. They know people from yours. And, and there's this bond that's there. Think about how beautiful that vision is. So be praying. I would encourage you. One way you can live this out is to pray for more healthy churches in our local area. So all I want to do now, with all that in mind, is I want to take these things, us together, so please pray with me. And let's take all these things before God. And let's ask Him to help us, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your help, God, and, and helping us to see the truth here. And God, I lift up Grace Community Church to You, Lord. God, we come before You. We need help. We know we need help. Lord, we see this concern here. This concern to... To see strong churches all over the world. Even in those places that have none. God, we see this concern. Please plant this burden on us in deeper ways. The way you did it with Paul, God. Where he said his, the, the, the concern that came on him daily. His deep concern for all the churches. God, give us that. Give us a burden. Give us a burden like that. And I pray, God, that you would enable us to live out that burden, to be doers of your word, to strengthen the church, God, to be about the mission, Lord. And God, we praise you that this mission that we link ourselves into is, is absolutely unstoppable because you are unstoppable, God. 
Your promises are unbreakable. So thank you, God, that we can link ourselves in with your mission. And even when there's conflict in our midst, God, even when there's disagreement in our midst, God, we trust you. You're in control. You're sovereign, Lord Jesus. You're sovereign. Your providence is beautiful. God, I pray for each of us as individuals that you would help us with these things, God. Lord, help our missionaries. I pray, God, that you would be with them. That you would strengthen them where they're at, God. That you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit to make your gospel known. That you keep them focused, God, and keep them from getting off, off track. Protect them, Lord, from the schemes of the enemy. God, I pray especially for Laurel right now. And everything going on with her family and serious sickness in her family. God, I pray you'd help her to have comfort and strength, God, in these moments. As a missionary for you, God, that you would comfort her, God. She would lean against you. God, I pray for the, the teams that are coming together and looking to go out to maybe to China, possibly to India, God. I pray you give them guidance, God. You hold them. And if it be your will, God, you send them out for the glory of your name and cause them to bear fruit among the nations, Lord. God, if there's any here that you're stirring up their soul, God, that they too need to go, God, I pray that you'd help them to have, have trust in you and to obey you. To obey your leading. God, let this be a church that sends out many. And God, I pray you make us as a church faithful senders. God, help us to go to the place of prayer with diligence. And even enjoyment, God, to call out to you and to bring these brothers and sisters in front of you. God, I pray that you would, you would allow us to be even... But to be faithful, God, even more faithful in giving, God, and that you would bless us, God, and your face would shine upon us, that your name might be known in all the earth. God, I pray that you would make us faithful members of this church. Make us strengtheners of the disciples, God, strengtheners of one another. And God, I pray that you would take you would raise up faithful and healthy local churches all over this city and all over this area, Lord. God, the churches that are, that are weaker, God, I pray you'd strengthen them. The churches that are strong, I pray you'd strengthen them more. And God, I pray, pray Lord, that you would plant more for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.